Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. On this week's podcast, we'll be joined by the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, the Harvard-educated man who's played for a quarter of the teams in the NFL and has great perspective on this season and all the others that he has endured in the NFL, the Dolphins starting quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we'll be joined by my colleague, my friend, the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he breaks down the great performances of Russell Wilson, trying to get his first MVP award, Josh Allen competing with Russell Wilson for that MVP award, the big matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Cam Newton and Bill Belichick this weekend, as well as the Monday night matchup with Aaron Rodgers thriving again in Green Bay. And I mentioned Patrick Mahomes going up against the New England Patriots. All I could say is that New England should feel fortunate that it's getting Patrick Mahomes in October and not September. Because Patrick Mahomes, very quietly, has become the ultimate Mr. September. Nobody beats him. Nobody competes with him. And when people were picking the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night to beat the Chiefs, all they needed to do was look back at what Patrick Mahomes has done in the month of September. If we go back and look at his career, think about this. He's 10-0, never lost in September. During that time, he's thrown 32 touchdown passes and no interceptions, 32-0. He's averaged 330.4 passing yards per game while posting 124.4 quarterback rating. So basically, in the month of September, he has been flawless. And he has been pretty flawless the rest of the months, too. But September is noticeably glaring. And I think part of the reason is, is that Andy Reid is so good at charting out plays in advance, spending the summer thinking about what he wants to do and how to attack opposing defenses early on that he and Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' great offensive coordinator, can pass on their ideas that they've been scripting and diagramming all summer and all offseason long to their great young quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. And I do say Patrick because we saw on Monday night his mother and fiancé taking offense to Lewis Riddick calling him Pat. Can't do that, Lou, if you don't mind me calling you Lou. So Patrick Mahomes, in the month of September, has carried out the marching orders of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, and he has been unbeatable. And the other thing that stood out early in the season is that offenses like the one led by Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City are rolling in ways that they never have before. If we look at the early part of this season, and this has never happened before, through three weeks, there have been an average of 51 points scored per game. It's the first time in NFL history, first time ever that teams have averaged over 50 combined points per game through the first three weeks of the season. The previous high was 1989 at 48.6. Before that, 1968, 48. This year, 51. And so you might wonder, why is it 51 this year? And I think the reason that it is is because there are no fans and there's no home field advantage and there's no crowd noise for quarterbacks to compete with. So when Patrick Mahomes goes to Baltimore, he gets to do what he wants like he does in practice. Doesn't have to worry about the crowd noise. Can call the plays as he wants. The noise, the energy, the momentum doesn't mean as much 
home field advantage has been completely neutralized. And so everybody's playing a game on neutral grounds as they would practice. That has resulted in quarterbacks having their way more than ever before. And that has resulted in the highest points per game average through three weeks that the NFL has ever seen. All right, before we get to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was excellent, I will tell you in advance, and Evan Kaplan, first a word from this show sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, dot com slash Adam. I also would like to say that before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that fantasy football is in full swing to make sure you're listening to the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast with ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Defania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp. You'll get daily strategy previews and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. And my team stink, by the way, right now. Download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football as well as the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the outstanding quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. As nice a guy as you can meet, a guy who's kind enough to give us 30 minutes in the middle of the week as he's getting ready to play Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Is this Fitz? Hey, what's up? Yeah, this is Fitz. How you doing? I'm good. Well, first of all, thank you very much for taking time. I appreciate it, Ryan. Yeah, anytime that I get the request from you, something really good or really bad happens, so <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about it. The last time that we saw each other, do you know where it was? Super Bowl? That's correct. At that yeah. breakfast place in, where were we, Atlanta? I was with my dad and my kids. Yeah, yeah, it was Atlanta. It was Atlanta. Yeah, it was Saturday morning, the day before the Super Bowl. I was with a friend of mine in the NFL. You were with your family. Yeah, my dad and my two boys and my brother-in-law. Yep, and so, so I saw each other there. But I will say this. That was the last time I saw you in person. But I, like others, get to watch you every week. And there is no quarterback in the league more fun to watch than you, Ryan. I really mean that. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Now, what would, what would you have said if I had said to you back when you came into the league in 2005 and joined the St. Louis Rams that your career would go 16 seasons, you'd play for a quarter of the teams in the league, eight teams? I mean, it, it, it's just unbelievable how it's all gone. Yeah, I, I would have said no way. I mean, I was – I remember those days just being the fourth-string quarterback and Mike Martz giving me a play call and me not being able to call it in practice and him kicking me out of the huddle, you know, and just realizing how how far I had to, to go and how much I had to learn. But it's been a pretty amazing journey 
having eight different stops and it's hard to it's hard to even you know put into words just thinking about the whole journey but I wouldn't have believed you you know even two three four five years I probably wouldn't have believed because I was just hanging on for dear life at the beginning but uh, it's been a pr pretty amazing dry, uh, ride for me. So how do you get from there to here? How does that happen when you're fighting to hang on and not only do you hang on but you get to thrive and have the success you've had and make the money you've had and all those things like that? Well, it's been, I mean, things have shifted as my career has gone on, but I know, you know, in the, in the later years, I've accomplished so many more things than I ever thought I would. So this is all, you know, this has all just been icing on the cake for me. So it's a pretty freeing feeling for me to be able to go out there and play. And I, I have the responsibilities of, of leading a football team and doing all those things, but I also am on borrowed time, you know, and this is, I'm not even supposed to be here uh, in terms of the, the career that was written for, for me versus the career that I've actually had. So I, I can kind of play freely out there and enjoy myself and, and have fun and try to lift my teammates up and, that's been that's been a huge part of the experience for me is the joy that I get on the football field and the joy that I get every single team that I've been on, whether it's been for a year or four years, um, just those relationships that I've been able to forge and how much fun we've had on the field together. Why do you say borrow time, Ryan? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, after after 20, the 2016 year with the Jets, I mean, my career was over. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to play anymore. I don't think anybody wanted me. Uh, just a really long, difficult year for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so really ever since then, I got a got the call from Dirk Cutter to go play in, in Tampa to back up Jameis. And, you know, essentially after we talked, I looked up how close it was to Disney World and thought that'd be a good place for the kids to be able to be for a year or two. So that when I say borrow time and icing on the cake and all that, I mean, you know, 2016, I didn't, I didn't really have any desire to play anymore because it was such a brutal year and, um, you know, refound my love for the game and all that and in 17 and 18. And it's, it's been, it's been a really nice ride the last four years. Well, as an employee of the Walt Disney Company, I'm glad that Disney could help bring you back and spark <laughs> that love of football again yeah. so that you can continue playing all these years. Uh, do, you, do you see any sign in sight now, even though you're on borrowed time? Uh, I, I mean, I guess now it's just, it's just trying to be, you know, living in the moment. You know, obviously we brought Tua in and, and Tua has an amazing future and it's been really fun to get to know him and to, you know, work with him. Uh, he asked a lot of great questions and is, is really into it, really enjoys the game. So that's been fun for me too, just kind of being a guy that's able to provide, you know, some guidance for him and be there to answer any questions he has. Like I really enjoy that aspect of it because now I feel like I'm really tied in to him and the success that he'll have uh, whenever that time comes. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's a million different throws that he can make that I can't, uh, you know, just watching him practice and all that. And he's, he's going to be a great player. And, you know, we're just, for me, I'm going to continue to go out there and try to do my job and, you know, do it as long as they, as long as they want me to. And that was one thing I was going to ask you about Ryan is to like what you see from him in the future. So 
all these things that you've seen in private with closed practices in the locker room, that leads you to believe that he has a great NFL future in front of him? Yeah, I mean, I would – the two things that – because I've obviously been around for a while and seen a lot of young guys, and um, the two things that pop out to me about him are his accuracy and being able to throw with anticipation. And, and those two things, uh, especially the anticipation part, is something that guys usually come into the league and have to learn and figure out. And he does he does a great job of that. So that those are the two things that have really popped out to me so far. And then, you know, the other thing is just his willingness to work and his willingness to ask questions and just his overall personality and how people tend to gravitate towards him because of the guy that he is uh, off the field. Knowing the kind of guy he is off the field and the talent he has on the field, how long do you think you'll be able to stave him off? I don't think I, I look at it as that. I know, you know, and Coach Flores says all the time that the, the decisions that they make are going to be in the best interest of the football team. And uh, so for me, I just have to go out there and continue to keep doing my job and continuing to put us in a situation to win the game each week. And uh, that's kind of where my focus is. And I've been through this a lot in a lot of different situations and yep. a lot of different organizations. Uh so the thing that I've learned over the years is uh, just really put all your focus and energy into each week. And then after that week, uh, after that game ends, you go to the next week and you do the same thing. And really it's just being, you know, very uh, short-sighted with your goals and the things you're trying to do and focusing on each week. How hard is it to have the mindset of a guy where you have gone so many places where you know you're there to tutor, mentor, that young guy be a placeholder, if you will, until he's ready. I mean, it seems like that's been the story for you in a lot of places you've been, correct? Yeah, it, it definitely has. And that that's never that's never an issue for me. I mean, I think I have had such a great career in, in terms of the people that I've met and the people that have helped me out along the way. And I just view it as paying it forward a little bit and that I've you know, I've made enough mistakes for, you know, plenty of quarterbacks combined with the things that I've been through and done. And to be able to share those experiences, the good and the bad, with some of these younger guys, if I could, you know, be a small part of helping them in their career and making them a better player, then that makes it worth it to me. So, you know, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for Mark Bolger and Gus Farad and, and Jamie Martin and a guy like Carson Palmer who really took time and helped me out and went out, you know, out, out of their way to make sure that, you know, I had a chance to be successful. So when I think back to those years and to those guys, especially a Carson Palmer and the way that he affected my career, even just being able to observe and watch him every day, I feel very happy and privileged to be in the position that I'm in right now to be able to pay it forward to somebody like Tua. What did you learn from Carson, Ryan? Well, I think one of the biggest things with Carson, uh, one of the most selfless guys I've ever been around, but just his leadership style, the, the way that guys followed him. And, you know, part of it was, you know, you, you take a guy that's the number one overall pick, you take a guy that was a Heisman Trophy winner, for him to come in, uh, for, I, I came in and maybe his 
uh, you could look it up, but probably fifth. See, he was drafted in 03. I was there in 07, 08, so fifth and six years, I think. Um, for him, you know, to have no ego, to be tough, to shoulder all the blame all the time for stuff that he didn't need to take the blame for, uh, the way that the guys looked at him in the huddle, there were so many different qualities about him that just made me say to myself, like, that's that's how I want guys to look at me. And uh, it had nothing to do with the, the talent that he had. It had to do with the way that he carried himself and the way that he shouldered the blame, you know, and the way that in the game's biggest moments, like, he wanted to be there. And I just I learned so much from that, just his presence, just from being around him, that uh, those were some of the lessons that I, I took from, you know, being able to observe him. You mentioned some of those quarterbacks, right? And you've been to St. Louis, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tennessee, Houston, New York with the Jets, Tampa, now Miami. You definitely was, had to read that. There's no way you knew that. So. Yo, yo, you, listen, if you can recite <laughs> all the math, math answers that you do over time at the podium with your, with your son <laughs> reciting math answers, I can memorize the eight teams that you played with and recite them very quickly. That's not hard to do. That, that's my job. Yeah. You got the math problems from heart. I mean, come on, Ryan. I, I was able to do that without looking down. <laughs> that's, that's good. When you look back at those eight stops, and you mentioned some of those quarterbacks, we all, in our respective lines of work, I think learn things from certain people who leave a mark on us, impact us, guide us. Who are some of the other people in all those places, and don't make me recite them again, that – also stand out to you? Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's an owner. Maybe it's a GM. Maybe it's a teammate. Anybody else that just jumps out to you that you believe deserves some credit for you staying on in this league for 16 years? Gosh, there's, there's a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Marvin Lewis, you know, my first real chance to start Carson hurt his elbow in 2008 and I started 12 games that year. And you know, Marvin, it was it was a long year and there were a lot of struggles, but he stuck with me throughout the whole year. And I think that was the first year that really kind of put me in a position to, um, you know, at least I, I then signed in Buffalo as a backup, but as a, you know, backup that had the potential to be a starter. And I think the chance and the shot that Marvin gave me and stuck with me for those 12 games was a that was really big for me. Uh, Chan Gailey has obviously been a huge part of my career. Uh, you know, being able to start under him for three years in Buffalo and then getting traded uh, eventually after a few other stops to New York and playing for him for two years again. And now, ironically, we meet again in Miami. Um, he's another one that, that really sticks out. And then, you know, there's just – there's so many guys along the way that, uh, you know, I think – Stevie Johnson and Fred Jackson are two in Buffalo uh, of guys that, you know, have always believed in me and, you know, guys that uh, really helped me in terms of, you know, confidence and all those different things. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's a laundry list that, you know, I know that I'm missing probably 30 guys that had enormous impacts on my career, but those are some, as you say, you know, list some that popped in my mind right away. How about that? That's quite a list. You know, Chan Gailey, I started covering the NFL in 1990. Chan Gailey was the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach for the Denver Broncos back in the day. 
about so I, well yeah i just i just had a production meeting with with troy aikman and he was i think eight, 88 89 was his head coach <laughs> It's 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 uh it's it's a long time. Now you mentioned all the, I mentioned all those stops. Is it true that you you have seven children, but they were each born in a different city? Yeah, we have seven seven kids in seven different states, which is pretty incredible. I, I mean that, that that's unbelievable. So no child, none of the seven have been born in the same place, same hospital, same anything. No, none none. All different cities, and it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, and if you start thinking about it and doing the math and we've had a kid every other year for the last, uh, 12 or 13 years. And the only stop I've had longer than two years is Buffalo, which was four. Um, one of our kids was born in Arizona while I was a Buffalo bill. So that's, that, that was the, uh, I guess the one this uh, asterisk on the bottom is I was I was a bill and had two kids while I was a bill, but one of them uh, was in Arizona. This was something I wanted to ask you. How is it that Philip Rivers gets so much attention for nine kids, but you don't get any attention for seven kids? <laughs> That's just it. You know, I'm the, I'm the runner up. I mean, he and and by the way, like Philip should be getting no attention, and I should be getting no attention. It should be our wives that are getting all the attention with this stuff. Uh, that, that's very uh, good. Yeah. I, yeah. Put that one in there. I need some bonus points. <laughs> yeah. Well, Liza, I'm, I'm pronouncing your name correctly, right? Liza. Yep, Liza. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Liza deserves a lot of credit for this. And, and uh, I'm glad you called her. And, and, and how does Liza like the chest hair that you displayed on national television the other night after you beat the Jacksonville Jaguars? Was she okay with that? <laughs> well, we, we've got seven kids, so you could probably answer that one yourself. <laughs> <laughs> are you is are you done on the children front ryan is that it uh i don't know i if the the day that we decide that i'm gonna give the breaking news scoop to you but not not necessarily not yet oh see i want uh, that story let me tell you something yeah that's a huge that'll be a huge break i mean you could break that to you know when, when you have some of these stories before anybody does Instead of calling her mom and telling her mom that we're done, maybe I'll just have you break it so I don't have to have that conversation. Well, don't you think it would be more appropriate if I could break it to her mom? That would be great. I mean, that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that would be I, incredible. I that would you know, be incredible. You, let me say this. When, when you do news, I, I can always tell one thing that has come out of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I don't know how much attention you pay to that kind of stuff. I can always see what interests people the most. And I'm just telling you right now, whenever I've tweeted out that, Philip Rivers' wife is pregnant again, or they're having another kid, Twitter yeah. explodes, like the internet breaks. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, if we put out there that Liza's having another child, it's going to break again. It's going to happen. And I'll give you one more reason why you should have at least one more. You need to have as many children as cities that you've played in. You've played in eight cities, eight franchises. We need to match that with children. I, I agree, and the, the argument on the other side of it is uh, I've only played in seven States though. So it, depending on, you know, depending on if I want to win or lose that argument of more kids or no kids, that's, that's kind of the back and forth that we've had so far. <laughs> now, clearly your Harvard education has served you very, very well. You, you could hear how smart you are. And I sincerely mean that. Do you think that that has shaped the perception that people have of you, that you're a Harvard quarterback, a Harvard guy? I think I think early on, 
that basically was the narrative um, that it that I was a Harvard guy. But I just I think over the years, um, I've I I mean people still mention it, I'm sure, but I think that people know me for a lot more than that that now in terms of all the different stops and teams and wild and crazy things that have happened throughout my career. So I think it's gone away a little bit uh, because that was, you know, initially when I first started playing, that was the only thing anybody knew about me. And that was the thing, right? It's kind of, it kind of just stays with you at that point in time. What are you going to do post football, Ryan? Uh, not sure yet. I'm not sure yet, but right away, I'll probably just, you know, take some time to be a dad and continue to do a lot of the things I love doing in the off season, just coaching, whether it's basketball or flag football, uh, just being involved in my kids' lives and figuring it out from there. Now, you've, you've played long enough that you've seen all these young players come into the league, and you're 36, and they're a lot younger. What's it like to explain to them that basically uh, – what, what was it like to use a payphone back in the day? Yeah, so that so I'm 37. Don't, don't be short on years. 37. But, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I, um, so that's I'll be I'll be 38 in November. But the the other the the great one the other day that we were talking about, uh, and it was Coach Flores was involved because we're pretty much the same age. He's he's got me by a year. But we were trying to explain to Mike Kosicki and some of the younger guys, like I used to have to call collect when I was coming home from I needed a ride from basketball practice or something in high school. So. I'd go to the payphone. You'd do the, you know, collect deal, and then they'd say, "What's your name?" Just like the the great commercial not too long ago, the Bob, we had a baby eats a boy commercial. Like yep. that was me in high school. I'm sitting there explaining it to these guys. Hey, mom, I'm done with basketball. Come pick me up. And they're like, "Well, why didn't you just text her? What do you mean?" You know, and it's like, "Well, that stuff didn't exist, Michael." You know that it, it kind of we had a pay. I had a pager in high school that me and my two older brothers shared like a little beeper and that's kind of what we did and then I mean I also like then when I got to college I got my cell phone and whatever else but uh, that was when I mean Facebook started at Harvard when I was there which was pretty wild uh, to think of you know all that the explosive growth of that company in the last 20 years. Did you give any interaction or connection to Mark Zuckerberg or any of the guys that launched Facebook? No, so I didn't. I didn't know him at all. Uh, Eduardo Saverin, who's a big part of the initial story, was buddies with a couple of my roommates in a finals club they were in. You know, my wife and my wife's roommates had some interactions with some of those guys, but yeah, I, I wasn't really all that involved. Well, you know, as much money as you've made in football, and you've made a ton of it, you could have made even more if you were just. Stay with some oh of your Harvard classmates like, back in the day. I mean, yeah, just and part of it too. If I just would have, you know, the random, the random lottery and getting put into a room, into into the dorms, you know, I don't. If if it would have been different, maybe maybe things would have turned out differently, and I wouldn't have had, you know, the whole NFL thing going for me. But I I wouldn't change it for a thing. It's been it's been pretty amazing the way that things have worked out for me. I brought up the chest hair, but I need to ask you about the beard. What gave you the idea to grow the beard, keep the beard, style the beard the way you have? People have come to know you by the beard. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I really could not grow one no way through college. My first couple of years, I didn't really have any facial hair and couldn't grow it. Um, and when I got to Buffalo, one of the seasons, I just let it go because it was cold and 
I wanted to see if I could actually grow one. And so it was, it was probably 09, 09 or 10 was one of the first years that I ever tried to really grow a beard and realized that I could actually do it. And so it's kind of been, you know, a little bit of my personality and who I am since then. Um, and every now and again, I'll, I'll shave it off and people won't recognize me and then we'll grow it back out. But I think once I'm done playing, if I want to become anonymous, then I'll just cut it off and nobody will know who I am. Does it ever get in your way or hinder you? No, I mean, it's such a part of me now. Like I, you know, it's my, it's, I've had it for so long that it's, it would, it's weird when I cut it off that I don't have it. Um, so it's, it's pretty normal at this point. Does Liza like the beard or no beard? I mean, it seems like the beard's working for you pretty good as it is. Well, no, she, to a certain extent, where it's, it's pretty long right now. She hates it when it's this long. But yeah, I mean, uh, somehow she, she fell in love with the, the guy with no beard, which I look <laughs> back at some of those pictures. You know, I must have had some charm because I know it wasn't because of my looks. <laughs> and Ryan, before I let you go, I should say you played the Seattle Seahawks this week. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they've actually allowed more passing yards through the first three games than any team in NFL history. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is crazy. They've been in some really high-scoring games the first three weeks. And I guess the converse of that, of course, is that Russell Wilson has absolutely lit it up this year, uh, 14 touchdowns through the first three games, which is the most in NFL history. When you see a guy like that play, what goes through your mind? Yeah, but he's – I mean, the start to the season has been unbelievable and really his his career. And, you know, I think right now, which is a scary thought, he's, he's the best he's ever been. He's playing great football and uh, – 14 touchdowns in a three-week span is pretty unheard of, especially to start the season. So we're excited for the challenge, but we know that, that it will be an enormous challenge for us. I I just want to do a little rapid fire before I let you go, if that's okay. Okay. Like when you play 16 years and have a career you do, I just want to get some quick answers on these things. The most memorable game you've ever played. (laughs) Uh, When you said that, um, the first one that popped in my head was New Orleans, Tampa. New Orleans, and how come that one? Uh, I, I think because it was first game of the year, the environment, the atmosphere, uh, and then I just—I mean—I remember after the game, I called my wife, and we both kind of just teared up on the phone. It just—it was a for as difficult as the ride had been to get to there, like that specific moment made everything seem worth it wow wow the most impressive player you've ever seen up close that could be a teammate a rival somebody that just blew you away oh you're killing me here i mean the best i I think the best season that i've witnessed was jj watt 2014 Hmm. when i was on the texans what was that like to you for you to witness oh it was just i think he had 20 plus stacks that year and some out five touchdowns. Maybe he was, he was scoring on defense, scoring on offense, just in terms of a guy that completely dominated every facet of the game. Um, that was a pretty special year to be a part of. A coach who blew you away with his intelligence coming from an intelligent guy yourself. I would say the two, the two that I probably have learned 
the most from Ken Zampezi was the first that kind of just showed me a different way to look at football. And then, uh, amazingly, after being in the league for a while, uh, George Gotze would be another one who was my quarterback coach in Houston. That just it was it was amazing in terms of the X's and O's how intelligent he is. Your favorite NFL city? I mean, I can't like I'm going to get in trouble if I answer that one. <laughs> I I loved uh, living in Chicago. I love living in Denver. Those are great. Well, places. yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. Like when I because my favorite NFL city. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's Buffalo. Because. It's Buffalo. Yeah. That's why. Because it's Buffalo. Yeah. Great place. Passionate fan base. Just cool town, right? Yeah. And the best podcast you've ever done. <laughs> uh, I'll give a shout out to my boy, Eric Wood. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, Ryan, I appreciate it very much. I'll be awaiting the news about the eighth Fitzpatrick <laughs> child. Yeah, well, I'll, we'll break it either way, or you know, we can we can break the news that we made the decision there will be no no more children, but you'll oh. be the first and well, the second to know. My wife will probably be the first, and you'll be the second. So. <laughs> that, that's all I could ask. I want to thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, truly, it has been an honor to watch you, an honor to speak with you today. I hope I get to see you uh, in a Super Bowl city soon, and the next time I'd be honored if I could buy you breakfast. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Now that interview right there tells you a lot about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tells you how kind, nice, funny, self-deprecating he is. It's one of the reasons that I think people have so much respect for him. And when I texted one of the Dolphins officials who helped round up this interview, Matt Taylor, to thank him, I said, hey, let Ryan know we really appreciate how great he was. And he said, everybody loves Fitzy. And I think that's true. And I think if you listen to it, you see it right there. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And before we go on to our next guest, Evan Kaplan, I wanted to point out that the 49ers this past weekend went into MetLife Stadium where they were missing nine starters, nine starters, and did not allow the Giants to penetrate the red zone. Giants never made it into the red zone all day. And so while so many teams are complaining about the injuries they have and bemoaning their fate, and they should because it's not fair and it's tough, 49ers, they get a tip of the cap this week because they're missing all their players. They're missing their starting quarterback, top two running backs, star defensive linemen, and just keep rolling on and take it to the New York Giants. And if you look at the 49ers schedule now, this is where it lights up a little bit, and they get three straight home games and a chance to put together some wins. They play Philadelphia at home, Miami at home, the Los Angeles Rams at home. And so – they have a chance at two and one to maybe get to four and two, five and one, and set themselves up despite some of these injuries. They'll get more of their guys back. And the 49ers, for as rough a start as it has been, 
should not be discounted just yet. All right, before we get to Evan Kaplan, and now our next guest. All right, we now bring in ESPN analytics guru, my friend, our Sunday and Monday helper, Evan Kaplan, to preview week four. Evan, how are we doing today? Doing well, Adam. How are you? Well, you know what it's like. We have the Monday night show in the city. We go our own ways, and here we are convening again Tuesday morning to start the podcast, to look ahead to week four. And as we start to look ahead to week four, Evan, I think the one thing that stands out right away is that Patrick Mahomes will be playing his 35th NFL game, and it'll be the latest chapter between Bill Belichick and Andy Reid. What do we make of that matchup, Evan? One week always kind of just moves into the next in the NFL. And that's one of the fun things about it, in my opinion. And and sure, we, we saw Patrick Mahomes Monday night against the Ravens. Uh, he will play his 35th career game, as you mentioned, on Sunday. He already has the most touchdown passes in a player's first 35 games, the most passing yards in a player's first 35 games, uh, besting the, the previous records, both held by Kurt Warner. And now he plays his fourth career game against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So he lost his first two. Uh, one last year when they played in New England, he can become the youngest QB to ever beat Belichick's Patriots in consecutive games. And this is also, you know, the 11th meeting between two of the best head coaches in NFL history. You look at the all-time wins list. They're both way up there. Bill Belichick, Andy Reid. Uh, and this was kind of interesting. I found that Reid will become only the fifth head coach that Belichick has faced 11 times uh, along with Herm Edwards, Mike Tomlin, Bill Cower, and our own Rex Ryan from Sunday oh. Countdown. So you look at these two head coaches, they've played a lot in recent years. Uh, and, and the other angle is certainly some of the assistant coaches that have come off of their head coaching trees. Uh, this will also be, excuse me, the first meeting between Mahomes and Cam Newton. So a lot of angles in this one. Uh, I think that we're going to see a little bit more kind of what, this new look Patriots offense is made of going to Kansas city and facing a tough chiefs team. You know, you mentioned that Patrick Mahomes struggled early on in his career against Bill Belichick and then Tom Brady. And I think what has happened is, is that Kansas city chiefs have become to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady once were to them. It's the same kind of thing where Lamar Jackson beats everybody else in the league. What does he have a 22 and one record against everybody else and an 0 and three record against Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid and the Chiefs. It's a similar concept, and now we'll get to watch the Patriots and the Chiefs. Can you imagine if the Patriots could find a way to beat the Chiefs here, and what a statement that would make about them? I mean, think about this, Evan. The Patriots lose Tom Brady. They lose a number of key free agents. They have eight players, eight, opt out. <laughs> eight. And they are rolling along like New England always does. And that's my point. If they could find a way to upset the Chiefs, Oh, we'll be anointing the Patriots next week, right? And and think about think about the one game they lost. They lost at the goal line in Seattle to a Russell Wilson led team that's three and zero and and the likely MVP. Let me clean up one thing on Mahomes' first thirty five game. Dan Marino previously held the record for the most touchdown passes. Don't want to shortchange the Hall of Famer there. No, no, absolutely not. You mentioned Russell Wilson, the Seahawks. Russell Wilson eyeing his first MVP. He's never gotten an MVP vote, amazingly enough. I would say he's going to get a vote this year. I would say he's got a good chance to get the award this year. But what do we make of Russell Wilson going up against our friend Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we heard on this podcast in the Miami Dolphins? 
the note everybody saw after week three was that Wilson has the most touchdown passes, 14, by any player in their team's first three games in NFL history. And as I was digging into the numbers a little bit, he's accounted for 14 of the Seahawks' 15 offensive touchdowns this season. They've only had one that he hasn't uh, thrown through the air. That percentage, so 93%, 14 out of 15, that's higher through three games than Tom Brady in 2007 than Peyton Manning in 2013 or Patrick Mahomes in 2018. Those are the three QBs to ever have 50 touchdown passes in a season. So when you compare what Wilson has done to this point in terms of the percent of the Seahawks touchdowns he's accounted for, it's higher than those three guys. It will be very interesting to see, can he keep up this pace where it seems like kind of he's everything, right? I mean, the, the defense um, has shown some flashes, also allowed a ton of yards. Yards can be a little overrated when we look at defensive metrics, but the Seahawks, they really, they, they put it all on Russell Wilson's shoulders. And so far he's answered every call. Now, as you said, he heads to Miami. This is, this is one of those fun notes that I always like kind of bringing up whenever the Seahawks head east. They've won nine straight games in the Eastern time zone, including the playoffs. Uh, a pretty remarkable streak. You always kind of, that's one of the misnomers you hear out there, right? The Seahawks traveling west to east. Oh, you got to take the East Coast team. Well, well, not lately when Seattle heads east. Well, Seattle's impressive. Russell Wilson's impressive. Now we'll get to see what they do in Miami this weekend against Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the other quarterback that's been really impressive this early season, a guy that could challenge Russell Wilson for the MVP through the first quarter of the season, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Uh, he's in select company with his start this season. And what do we make of that, Evan? This was pretty incredible, and, and Allen and the Bills played a wild game in week three against the Rams. Uh, he has Buffalo off to a 3-0 start. They play the Raiders in week four, and Allen is only the fourth QB in NFL history with 1,000 passing yards and 10, 10 touchdown passes in a 3-0 start. The others are fellow Bill Jim Kelly, Peyton Manning, and Patrick Mahomes. Those three players all reached the Super Bowl in the season in which they did that. Look, a long way to go, uh, 13 game, thirteen regular season games left, but you, the start Josh Allen is off to is among the most impressive we've seen. The Bills are, I think, with Allen and the style that he plays, uh, they've become one of the more exciting teams to watch in the NFL. I think for a long time we thought of the Bills, even in some of their better seasons, that they were a run-the-ball, strong defense team, and they still have some of that. But Allen throwing the ball downfield to Stephon Diggs, he, he makes some reckless plays sometimes, but they're, they're a fun team to watch. And, and we're going to find out a lot about them over the next few weeks uh, following their game in Vegas. They're at the Titans, who are 3-0, and then home against the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. So let's see where the Bills stand after week six. If, if they're 5-1 and one, or even somehow still 6-0, and oh, they're going to a lot of, a lot more people are going to be paying attention to that. You know, it's interesting. I remember about Josh Allen. It was the spring of 2017, the draft of 2017, and Josh Allen actually considered coming out for that. But I remember at the end of that, day three of the draft, I popped on camera after speaking to some personnel people, and they said the number one pick in next year's draft right now looks like it could be Josh Allen in 2018. Now, he didn't wind up going number one in that draft. Baker Mayfield did. But we look back on that draft now, and it produced Lamar Jackson. It produced Josh Allen. It produced... Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield. Uh, you can make the argument now, in hindsight, that Josh Allen should have been, could have been the number one overall pick in that draft. And I, and I, I go back to that little bite that I had 
2017, the draft, and I said he might be number one, which is purely off what I've been told by people around the league, and, and it looks like it could have been and should have been true. All right, the other thing, Monday night, Evan, we get another good matchup. Not Baltimore-Kansas City good, but Green Bay-Atlanta good. And it's good in a different way because Atlanta's really been struggling. And Aaron Rodgers has not. But how do you size up this matchup that we'll be getting Monday night, Green Bay-Atlanta? With all of it that we mentioned about Russell Wilson and Josh Allen, I think one of the more impressive starts, certainly when you compare to what people were saying through the offseason, is Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense. You know, they're, they're 3-0 for the second straight year, but it's a really different Rodgers uh, from, from how he started last year. Nine touchdown passes, no interceptions, total QBR of 90. That's his highest through the first three games of the season uh, in his career. He's got more touchdown passes at this point than when he won the MVP in 2011 and 2014. Now he hosts the Falcons Monday night. He's won his last six Monday night football games. And this Packers offense, even without Devontae Adams, on Sunday night against the Saints, Rodgers just – I know some people have remarked on it. He just seems to be having more fun out there. Um, he, he's kind of – the numbers show that he's throwing the ball downfield more. He's throwing it at the tight windows more. He's outside the pocket. It just feels like when you're watching, this is some of the Aaron Rodgers we saw a few years ago, and the numbers back that up. So I'm going to be interested to see, and you know, can the Packers keep this rolling, but 3-0 and start and – right up there with the best teams in the NFC to start this season. You know what he looks like to me? He looks like he's having fun. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Right? Like you saw him at the end of Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football this past week. Mm-hmm. He could not wipe that smile off his face. Absolutely. He was giggly, happy, and I know that there was so much made of the Packers taking Jordan Love and how upset yep. and annoyed and irked he was, and he was. Right. But it is undeniable that Aaron Rodgers right now is having fun, and it is evident in the way he's playing. You can just watch these guys and just see their body language. I mean, it's just – it's so obvious. And he has such confidence and such happiness. And I, I think him and Matt LaFleur really do get along quite well, better than people realize. And, and I don't know that Matt LaFleur was fully behind that draft pick. But, yeah. uh, again, they're rolling, and we will get to watch them on Monday Night Football. I will get to see you Monday night again, Evan. And until then, have a great week. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for the insights as always. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you next week. And Evan's right about a lot of things, but one in particular. As we start rolling on in the season, the weeks do start blending into one another. The season picks up speed and it starts rolling along. It took forever to get here. Felt like it never would. But now that it has, it will pick up steam and it will start flying by. And I mentioned before the idea of staying at home to watch games, which is an adjustment for me this year, very much an adjustment, very different. And people say, how's that worked out? And I would say this, that I would prefer on Sundays, no disrespect to my family who I love being around, to be in the studio, in person, with all my work colleagues and all the people I'm working around, because there's nothing like a Sunday morning, the adrenaline that you feel and the energy of being in a studio being around your friends, and then after Sunday countdown ends at 1 o'clock, after Sunday countdown ends at 1 o'clock, then going over to the war room, what we call the war room, where all the televisions are, to sit around with your friends all day and watch the games and make observations and make jokes and laugh at each other and hang out. I mean, those are great days and some of the most memorable days 
that I ever had. In fact, that's how Matthew Berry got the nickname Wrong Chair, by the way, because he walked into the room on his very first day at work and he asked Chris Mortensen, wow, this is great. Where do I sit in this room? And the room is lines of rows and Chris Mortensen pointed to the front row, middle chair. And Matthew Berry said, Mort, you're giving me that chair? And he said, yeah, Matthew, we'd like you to sit right in the center of the room. <laughs> and a short time later, when Chris Berman got done with Sunday Countdown and he walked into the room, he noticed that Matthew Berry was sitting in the chair that he sat in for years that Mort had him sit in. And Chris Berman didn't really care for that. I don't think he cared for fantasy football, and I don't think he cared for Matthew Berry sitting in his chair. And he said, I think you're in the wrong chair, which is why to this day, Matthew Berry's fantasy football team is called the wrong chair because he sat in the wrong chair. And we missed those Sundays. But I will say, being at home, not having to fly on Sunday nights and wake up in another city on Monday morning and take the early morning flight on Tuesday to get home after Monday night football to come back to take this podcast and to be home with your family on Sunday nights and Monday morning and to help your daughter at school, virtual school, to go out and make her lunch every day and all those things. I will say, as much as I miss being in the studio, there are some advantages to working from home as we all are uncovering in this new normal, abnormal time that we are living through. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. I want to thank Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I became an even bigger fan of after talking to him on the phone for 30 minutes. I want to thank Evan Kaplan for all the information that he put together for our benefit once again. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me, putting together this podcast, making it all flow and sing. I hope everybody has a great week. We'll be back next week to review week four and to look ahead to week five. And until then, be well and stay safe.